Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Boardroom Talk. This is Harriet Klarfeldt. You won't have heard my voice before because I recently joined Investors Chronicle. Today I'll be speaking with Bob Smith, who is the Executive Vice President of Mitra Energy. Mitra is a developer and supplier of renewable energy in India, and it's listed on the AIM market here in the UK. It has a market capitalisation of around £43 million. Bob is speaking to us over the phone today as he's overseas at the moment. Bob, thanks very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Bob, to begin with, it would be helpful to hear a brief overview of Mitra Energy. So what it does, its history and how it's well placed to address the need for renewable energy in India. So Mitra started just over six, six and a half years ago. We listed on AIM, obviously, in London. And we brought the money into an Indian hold co, which we've used then to invest in developing wind farms and solar farms in India. So over the last six years, we've gone from a point where we had nothing at all, very small, no team, no assets, and uh, essentially no operations at all. From that startup phase over the last six years, we're now operating a business which last year reported an EBITDA of $128 million and operates across 16 projects in eight states across India. And we operate about 630 wind turbines and many thousands of solar panels in our projects. So today we're a a fully operational utility generating a long-term stable cash flow. And at the same time, we're growing at around about 30 to 40% every year. You mentioned solar energy, and um, that's an area that the company has entered into more recently. So given that the company has historically been more of a wind energy business, what does solar energy really bring to the business? Is it sort of diversified revenue streams, for example? Yes, I think that's the key point. We have worked very hard to create that long-term stable cash flow. And we started off by diversifying across different states in India, which has different geographic diversity as well as regulatory diversity. And then we also diversified across the equipment that we were using, so different wind turbine manufacturers. And now we're diversifying further by moving into solar. And essentially all of this is is focused on the same outcome, which is to create this idea of a long-term stable cash flow built on a strong asset base. More generally, how do wind power and solar energy compete, I suppose, in terms of cost effectiveness and the time to deployment relative to other more traditional energy sources in India, for example, coal? Yeah, when we set out originally with Mitra, we focused on wind because it was already at the same price as coal if you were going to build a new power plant. And India is, is incredibly short of power. In general, so India has a, about 300 gigawatts of installed capacity today. It needs to build at least three or four times that over the next few years in order to sort of keep up with its development goals. And so there's a huge demand for power. And we were offering and, and are offering wind at a cost which is competitive with the alternative, which tends to be coal, but also at a much faster rate because a wind plant can be developed from scratch in just a couple of years where a coal plant would typically take five years to get off the ground. And solar just extends that same point. So when we began working in India, solar was much more expensive than wind. And so we didn't think it was very attractive at that time. But now what we've seen is the solar tariffs and solar pricing has come down dramatically. So solar also now is cost-effective 
relative to the alternative, which is is coal. So, so what we're offering here is in India is renewables, wind and solar, is being delivered at a price which is competitive with the alternatives, and also it's being delivered much more quickly than those alternatives. So that makes it a very attractive environment for renewables in India. There's no government subsidy to support that. It's standing on its own two feet and competing head on. Okay, focusing more on the sort of investment case for Mitra, looking at the last 12 months, the company's shares have fallen over 50%. If we look at the financial year ending December 2016, I appreciate that the company has changed its accounting methods for the most recent year. But um, on a sort of comparable basis, uh, the company saw a pre-tax loss of around $5.6 million. So that's quite a shift from the gain, I think, seen a year earlier, about $462,000. On the face of it, it might not look like the most attractive investment opportunity immediately. So in your view, Bob, how should investors value the company? For example, does it represent a long-term value opportunity? Yes, I mean, I think if you look at the, the share price performance, obviously, from all of our points of view, that's very disappointing. And I think that that is a, a reflection of the fact that we have not communicated as well as we ought to to investors about what the real investment proposition is. And I think if you look at our asset base today in India and you look at the competitive environment and you look at what other uh, transactions that have been happening in India recently – they would value our asset base dramatically higher than anything that you are currently seeing in the UK market. So where our UK market cap is in the sort of area of £40 million, as you said earlier, if you look at that asset base and compare it to, to comparables here in India, it would be worth 10 or 15 times that amount, which I know sounds enormous, but that is the reality and those transactions exist and can be seen. So from our point of view, we believe the company is dramatically undervalued because of the fact that investors in the, in the UK market are looking at it um, with the wrong lens. Um, we need to be looked at as a utility company, as an asset-rich company, and as a cash flow-generating company. And because of that, um, we don't focus hugely on the profit line. We focus much more on cash generation and on building quality asset base. And that here in India is being valued by in, in comparable transactions, but it's not being valued in the UK right now. Just following on from your point that the company could be seen sort of similar, similarly to a utility stock, um, it's interesting that Metro doesn't pay dividends, although investors might expect a renewable energy stock, as you said, to behave similarly to a utility company and provide some form of return in the form of dividends. So do you anticipate paying dividends soon? And, and why haven't any been paid to date? Well, we haven't been paying dividends so far because while I keep saying that we're a utility company, we're also a utility company which is growing at 30 to 40% a year. And that's very unusual in that sector. So the reason we're growing at that rate is because the market in India right now is allowing us to build projects with extremely good returns. And while the market allows us to continue to build those projects with those returns, we should continue to invest as much as we possibly can in building those projects. Now, at some point, the competitive environment will change. And at that point, it will no longer be sensible for us to use money to invest in projects instead of distributing it. At that point, naturally, we will then move to have a dividend strategy. But right now, what we're focused on is building as much as we can, as quickly as we can, 
because the market is, is allowing us to do that with extremely good returns. You mentioned the company is obviously expanding very rapidly and one of the consequences of growing so fast is inevitably the need to sort of refinance. Um, I know that Mitra secured nearly a billion dollars worth of financing during the financial year 2016 and I believe that included a $380 million refinancing of his existing portfolio of sites. Um, I suppose on the one hand, that could be seen as a sign of confidence in the business from lenders, but obviously taking on more debt can be a cause of concern for investors. So would you be able to give us a bit more detail about, for example, Mitra's annual or, in, or indeed monthly interest payments, as well as revenues and total outgoings? So, so obviously we run the company to ensure that we don't ever get into a situation where we can't pay our debt, right? So, I mean, I, nobody should be concerned about that. And in fact, a very nice proof point of that is that in 2015, we had an extremely poor wind year. And even in that really poor wind year, we still managed to cover all of our debt payments and all of our repayments without any without any concerns whatsoever. So I think from the point of view of the company's ability to pay its debt structure off, nobody should be concerned about that. And what we should emphasize is that the debt that we have in the company is secured only on the assets. So, so the, the refinancing that you described, what we did is we took 543 megawatts of existing assets and we put a new debt structure around that 543 megawatts, which replaced what was there previously, which was a series of individual debts for each individual project. And so by doing that, what we did is created a much more efficient debt structure, which reduced the price dramatically and also extended the tenor. So from our point of view, that was a tremendously successful transaction. And it was refinancing, not, ex- not, not increasing the debt level. Um, but what it was doing, it was, it was reducing the cost. And we'll continue to do that. And we can see opportunities all the time to, to continue to reduce the cost of the debt by refinancing. And we'll continue to do that. Okay. And taking on um, solar energy as a sort of um, another element of the business, will that lead to a sort of greater level of refinancing, do you think, going forward? So the solar business is just an extension of the wind business. So, so from our point of view, when we look at those two things, we see them essentially as equivalent. Different technology, but essentially it's exactly the same business, which is generating clean power and selling it to under long-term contracts to stable off-takers. So that will, business will continue to be exactly the same. And the structure for those projects is exactly the same as the structure for the wind projects where we take non-recourse finance into the project itself. And obviously we'll see that if the interest rates continue to fall, we'll refinance those in just the same way as we're refinancing our wind projects. Just looking more generally at India and the sort of energy market, the renewable energy market there, it's my understanding that India's seen a bit of a shift towards auctions for wind power rather than solely having fixed prices. And do correct me if I'm wrong on that. But how is that affecting the company? And is the same shift being seen in the solar energy market as well? So solar, when, when solar um, really took off a couple of years ago, the government set up a structure which was driven by auctions. So, so the large scale solar expansion that is happening right now is all driven by an auction process, essentially a competitive bid for capacity. So that's always been in that way from our point of view. Now, we took place, we took part in those auctions, and we did very well and got some very good tariffs. We didn't win all of the auctions, but obviously we were careful about what we did, and we won some of them at very good rates. So we're very happy with, with what happened during the solar auction. Now, 
the move to wind auctions, from our point of view, is very interesting because um, one of them has already taken place. And in that auction, Mitra was uh, was able to secure 250 megawatts of capacity, which we believe is extremely attractive and is a very, very good project for us. Now, some of our competitors have been cribbing about the fact that that is a too low a tariff for wind projects in India. And from my point of view, that's very exciting because what that says is that we're a very efficient company in terms of our cost structure and in terms of our approach, and that others are struggling to drive down the tariff to the levels it needs to go. So from our point of view, when I look at auctions now, I think this is a very exciting opportunity for Mitchell because we're a very efficient company. We've developed a lot of things which allow us, as a fully integrated company from the, from the wind mast all the way through to the operating environment, a lot of things that allow us to be very efficient and very uh, con- conscious of cost, but also looking at the performance of the equipment, the performance of the plants to ensure that they deliver the maximum that they can. So when I combine our efficiency with the fact that we have a huge database of wind data across all of India, which is differentiated from our competitors, that actually allows us to succeed in auctions where others perhaps can't. So actually, I'm quite looking forward to the auction environment. I think it gives Mitra a tremendous advantage to be able to use the existing competitive advantages of the company to win more projects at very good returns in those auctions where others may struggle. Um, I know that the Indian Prime Minister, Mr Modi, has pledged around 100 gigawatts of solar capacity and 60 gigawatts of wind by the year 2022. And India is committed to the Paris Climate Agreement. So in your view, what proportion of that target do you think that your company will be able to supply by 2022? Well, I don't think we get into to predicting the future. Mm. I think from our point of view, what we would say is we would continue to be a major player in the marketplace and we'll grow as fast as we can into that target. Now, what the actual delivery is at the end of it, who knows? But the the important point from our point of view is that India as a country is fundamentally short of power. It has 300 gigawatts of installed capacity, as I said already. And at that with that level of installed capacity, the per capita consumption is really very low, only around about a third of what the per capita consumption is in Brazil. So even if India was to just increase its per capita consumption to the same as Brazil, it would need 600 gigawatts of renewable energy to be built in the next few years, or 600 gigawatts of energy, of which the large portion of would be renewables. So I think the government target is excellent. I think it's great that they've set that, and I think it's really motivating the industry. But nobody should consider that to be a limit. India has a great opportunity to build that new power in a very different way. And the reality is that fossil fuels as the mainstay of power generation anywhere in the world, and especially here in India, is coming to an end, and renewables are taking over. And the nice thing is that in India, there is a very limited amount of existing incumbent power renewables are adding new power into that marketplace rather than replacing existing power. So from my point of view, if I look at India, I think it's going to be a very exciting market out into the future for quite some time. And I expect Mitra to play a very large part in the generation of that capacity. Just a sort of final point, it would be useful to know what the competitive landscape is like in India. I mean, are there any major competitors to your company, um, which particularly, I suppose, in the auction phase are presenting a real challenge? Yeah, so as I was referring to earlier, I mean, they clearly are competitors. I mean, there are a number of companies that are of a similar size to ourselves that have similar business models. 
Um, and so obviously we're looking at those and seeing them as competitors. But I think the key point to recognise is that there is an enormous demand, which means that there is plenty of room for all companies to grow very quickly. This is not a situation where one company is going to come to dominate. Many companies can grow very quickly here because of the simple scale of demand. However, as I said earlier, I believe that we do have a strong advantage, particularly in the efficiency of our operation and also in the very large pipeline that we, that we currently have and uh, the scale of our wind resource, which I think very few people have access to. And having a large, a large amount of wind data allows us to choose where to do our projects next and allows us to choose the best quality projects rather than being forced to only select a project that we have on the books. So from our point of view, yes, there are competitors. The marketplace allows all those competitors to grow very effectively because it's just huge. But in addition to that, we believe we have some very strong advantages in both our data and our, our pipeline and also in the efficiency of our operations. Okay, thanks for that detail. And I mean, you've already touched on this a bit, I think, but in terms of your outlook for 2017, was there anything else that you really wanted to flag? No, I think we should look for Mika to be continuing to grow extremely quickly and to see uh, more and more proof of the quality of the assets in the cash flow which is being reported. Well, Bob, thank you very much for joining me today. That's all we have time for. For more of our podcasts, search for the IC and iTunes, Acast or the Investors Chronicle website. Thank you very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.